so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 69 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we are reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> I am Karen Peterson, Yay! and I am back from the wilds of Park City, which isn't really wild, but very cold. Um, and I am joined by my lovely co-hosts, Kristen Lopez. Hello. Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. Hey, guys. I don't, I don't know who you are. You sound like Karen. Stranger, stranger. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Karen hasn't been here in weeks, so I'm just going to assume pod person. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's right. I've been replaced by an alien and... Oh, wait. I wasn't supposed to tell you that. I'm supposed to... oh. I, <laughs> I suck was just going to say, you've been hanging thing. out with all those rich people. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you've finally broken my heart and run off with, with a hot man who's not Tom Cruise, and <laughs> you're just, this is your doppelganger. Some sort of happy she's death stolen, type of thing. She's stolen Army Hammer right from under you. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I was not in the same room as Army Hammer. However, I did see his new movie. And you told me some things that were egregious, and I do not believe them. So, oh, yeah. Oh, it's not good, you guys. Okay, well, let me let me just throw out the worst Army Hammer movie is still a great movie. Um, <laughs> I have what we call blinders on. So I believe I asked you, I believe I asked you when I said I'm all on a scale of like J. Edgar to that Billy Graham biopic he made, like how bad is it? <laughs> That's what we're working with, people. It's 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 not a good movie. It's really not. Um it's Lies actually... and slander. It's kind of impressive how bad it is, actually. Um, but yeah, so you told me something that was hilarious about oh, it. Man, now uh, I can't even remember what I said. You have to remind me. The fact that his character, you swear, was referred to by a different oh, name, and then yeah, you it up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, no. So in the very beginning of the movie, Zazie Beats calls him Bill. And I thought in my mind when she said that, well, that's weird. He should be Will. That's He's more of a Will. And the whole rest of the movie, everyone calls him Will. And that's his name. And I'm like, no, I know she called him Bill. I know she what? did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dead serious. It's like, so oh, funny. It's the Yanny Laurel of movies right now. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was super weird, but. Anyway, um, yeah, so, but here's a quick thing, a quick rundown of some of the stuff that I saw, um, because I know there are a few things that you guys are going to be interested in, so, um, 
The first one I want to talk about is a little movie called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, which y'all were talking about a couple weeks ago. Um, which we've already passed sentence on, so, you know. Yes, and here's what I'm going to say about that. Um, it's interesting because you guys were right about it, but for not quite the right reasons. Um, it's... It, it, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember exactly what you guys were saying about it. But basically, um, this movie, Zac Efron is well cast. I'm going to say that. He and Lily Collins both do a good job. And it doesn't it doesn't really glorify Ted Bundy and it doesn't um, exploit his victims. But the problem with it is that, of course, this is the same guy that did the Ted Bundy tapes documentary on Netflix. And... The problem is that he knows so much about how evil and terrible Ted Bundy is that he just kind of expects the audience to know that too. And so he doesn't fill in the gaps the way he needs to. And so one of the one of the friends I was there with watching it, um, she and I were talking about it afterwards. And she said, you know, a, for a teenager who doesn't know anything about Ted Bundy and who's really fascinated with true crime, if they come in and watch this movie just because, oh, this guy's really cute or whatever, they're going to walk away from it thinking he's just, you know, he's just kind of, I mean, he was bad, but he wasn't that bad. And that's the problem. And That's and, horrifying. And it's, yeah, and it's not, and I really don't think it's because, because I listened to the Q&A after the movie and I listened to what Joe Berlinger had to say and I don't I don't think it was that he was in any way sympathetic to Bundy I think he just didn't realize that he needed to go a lot further to show how bad he is and that's the problem with the movie um and they don't like it's supposed to be from from Liz's perspective and it's supposed to really get into why she never could believe this of him and when it stays on her, it's good. And she does a good job, too. But it shifts to him. And there's even a scene where he's all alone. No one is watching him. And he starts to cry. And I was just like... And in that moment, you're not feeling bad for him. You're like, well, good. You brought this on yourself. But at the same time, I'm like, but I don't think that's how it works with sociopaths. <laughs> So I had a hard time with that, with him being emotional over something. It was, it just didn't fit with what I feel like I know about Ted Bundy. So it was weird. So the movie itself, it's not good. The performances are good. Um, I can't really recommend it because it just, like, I didn't need them to show any of the murders necessarily, but they don't really even get into how bad any of them were until toward the end. And, like, I just needed a scene or two where it shows him coming home and you know he's just done something really terrible. And he walks in to Liz and acts like everything's normal. And they never did that. Not really. So, I mean, it's very much like, you know, he's been arrested and you know he probably did whatever he was arrested for. But it just, it didn't go far enough. It sounds like it's a standard Hollywood biopic about... A guy yeah. that they hope you know going in yeah everything that yeah. was bad about him but doesn't actually get at anything new and there exactly. are new entries into the story we don't need a movie about the pathology of ted bundy but there is something that could have been done regarding 
women, you know, and, and this mm-hmm. storyline, but it just sounds like once again, it maybe might've been nice to have maybe a female screenwriter or female reading something or something. Yeah. And it's interesting because they were talking about how Liz, um, I mean, it's based on her book and they had a lot of meetings with her because they really wanted to tell her story. And I'm like, okay, then why didn't you tell her story? You only told part of her story, you know? So it was too bad. So you guys were definitely right about the movie, but not quite for the right reasons. And uh, yeah. What I'm hearing is that we were right. Uh, (laughs) That's fine. And that we were we were correct on this. No, it's it's interesting what you're saying because it, I, I think yeah, no, none of us necessarily expected that, but it does seem like um, that there are a lot of films like this that are made by people who are so fascinated by their particular topic that they think everybody else, like you're saying, they think that everybody else knows the same things that they do because they've been so immersed in it. And so you wind up maybe not necessarily making a film that is like, oh, this warm and fuzzy serial killer, that, that's, that's not your intention, but you're still approaching it from a perspective that just the, the majority of the public doesn't have. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was Extremely Wicked. Uh, two films that I saw that, well, let's see. I saw so many things. Um Okay, so two films that I saw actually on my very first day, um, both got pretty good sales. Actually, one of them got the became the highest sale for a film directed by a woman out of Sundance, um, or written and directed by women, and that is Late Night. Have you guys heard much about Late Night with Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling? I have, and I want to see it. Oh my gosh, Same. it's so funny. As soon as I saw it, I think I messaged you guys and I said, I can't wait for y'all to watch Late Night because I really think you're going to love it. It really gets into, you know, what it's like to be the only girl in a room full of guys that are all very, very, very male and um, don't really care that there's women around. And um, it's very funny, but it's also got a lot to say about about those issues. Um, Emma Thompson plays this late night talk show host. And in the world of this movie, she's been, and she's like on a Kimmel Fallon level. So she's, you know, one of those players and she's been there for over 20 years. She's had a billion Emmys, but her show's kind of fallen off because she just got really complacent. And so it's picking up where they're just at the point where they're about ready to cancel her. And, um, Mindy Kaling literally comes in as a diversity hire because the entire room of writers is white dudes. And so um, she comes in and she just, you know, I mean, it's kind of one of those standard inspirational, like change things up type of stories, but there's just Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson really elevate it. They make it something very special and it's really fun. And Mindy Kaling wrote it and then um, it was directed by... Uh, Nisha Ganatra, I think. Um, and both of them mostly have worked in television up till now. So this is a fun transition. And it's just so funny and so poignant. And there are other things like John Lithgow plays Emma Thompson's husband. And it's very much, you know, the supportive spouse role. But they give him a little bit of, of 
character and and they give him something with a little bit of meat to it you know like women directors tend to do and women writers it's amazing they actually know what supportive spouses should look like um yeah and this was amazon bought it for 13 million dollars it's now the highest sale for a film written and directed by women beating last year's mudbound so that was very cool i can't wait for you guys to see it you're gonna love it it's just it's just fun it's not um in a lot of ways it doesn't break any new ground but it's just such a fun movie and i've heard so many comparisons to the devil wears prada and that actually really frustrates me because that feels like a very lazy comparison yes emma thompson plays this like this mean boss lady that you know nobody gets along with and everyone's kind of scared of but that's where the similarities stop. She actually has a lot more depth to her. You get to know who she is, unlike Miranda Priestly in The Devil Wears Prada, you know? And Mindy Kaling is a million times more interesting, or her character is a million times more interesting than Andy is in The Devil Wears Prada, you know? And so it's like the comparisons are just, they're frustrating because they're very, uh, they're not looking deep enough, I think. It's very surface level. You can compare the two, but when you just scratch even just a little, they're so different. They're both, so. they're both women in the workplace films, so hence they must be exactly right. the same. <laughs> right, exactly. That's, so. a fr- that's a frustratingly dated comparison. My God. Yeah. I hadn't seen that yet. Oh, yeah. I saw it all over the place the day that the movie premiered, and I was just like, come on, guys. You can do better than this. So, um, But the same day, I saw another movie called The Farewell. And, oh, I loved it so much. This is Aquafina moving into drama. And she's really good, you guys. She's really good. Um, this was also written and directed by a woman, Lulu Wong. And Kristen, you were talking about her previous film the other night when we were chatting about this. Yeah, I've been a fan of hers for a while. She did a film in 2015 called Posthumous, which is available now on Amazon. Somebody told me that the other day. You can actually get it on digital, and if you can, you should go buy it. Blind buy it, because it's it's a darling romantic comedy. Um, romantic dramedy, I think, is more, it's more in the dramatic line, um, with Britt Marling and Jack Houston. It's probably the best Jack Houston movie that ever existed. Um, and it, <laughs> it's very old school. You know, it's a simplistic story, like two lost souls coming together in a foreign country. And it's really, really charming. So it took a long time. I think I bought it on import because it didn't get a release date, I think, until fairly recently, the uh, home video release. So definitely watch it uh so i can officially say i was a fan before it was cool (laughs) well there you go um yeah so the farewell is uh aquafina plays this girl who her parents brought her from china to the united states when she was six so she grew up in new york so she's very much an american she's very new york she's just you know she's living that life and and that's just who she is because this is where she grew up and but she's still also very close to her family in china especially her grandmother and grandma is diagnosed with terminal cancer and in china it's not it's um legally you're not required to inform someone if they have a terminal illness and so it's very common 
for families not to tell people that they're dying because, um, you know, why spend their final months being sad or being scared of death or any of that. So they just don't tell people. And um, apparently that used to be the case here too. I don't know when that stopped, but um, anyway, so the cousin agrees to get married to his girlfriend in order to have an excuse to bring the whole family back together to say goodbye to grandma, even though nobody knows, a lot of people don't know that they're saying goodbye to grandma and she definitely doesn't know it. And so it's a drama, but it's also, it's, you know, it's got humor because families are funny and it's very sweet and it really deals a lot with cultural differences. And I really loved that because it never gets to the point where it says one way of doing things is right and the other is wrong. It's just, you know, these are just two different ideologies, two different ways of looking at the world and, and dealing with family and, and issues of, you know, of separation. And, um, there's a lot of expressions of feeling guilty and things like that. And it's just so beautifully done. Everybody in this cast is just great. And I cannot wait for this movie to hit. A24 bought it. And I think that they'll, I hope they'll do well with it and market it right. So, um, that I'm guessing will probably hit this summer. In fact, both of those I'm guessing will hit this summer, so that'll be interesting. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how the farewell does because it's cool to see Aquafina already doing something very different after doing two really funny comedy roles last year. I'm glad that at this point she's already starting to branch out and show that she can do other stuff. And now I'm like, okay, cool. When's the next? Like, when's the horror movie coming? Because I think she'd be great in a horror film. So. Yeah. Oh it's my god, she'd be awesome in a horror film. Wouldn't she? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's the farewell. Um, let's see. A really fun documentary I saw was Ask Dr. Ruth. Oh, yay, talk about that one. I've been excited <laughs> On for episode that. 69. I just want to point those out. This would be episode 69 without talking about Dr. Ruth. Exactly. <laughs> So, Dr. Ruth at Westheimer, um, for those who don't know, she has been a sex therapist, a very prolific sex therapist, since the middle of the 1980s. And she is 90 years old and still working today. Sorry, sorry. She's 90 and a half. Yeah, she's 90 and a half. She will tell you that that half is very important when you're her age. And, um, which I thought was just adorable. But, um, yeah, this documentary is about her life. It's about her work. It really, it's fascinating. I mean, this, she was a Holocaust survivor, but it's because her parents sent her to an orphanage in Switzerland when she was, you know, before the war broke out. So she never ended up in a concentration camp, but that route, but Going to Switzerland resulted in an entirely crazy and interesting trajectory for her. And so it gets into all of that. It gets into what happened with her family and how she ended up in the United States. And, and I mean, she's had this fascinating life and she's just so funny and so charming and delightful. And it's, it's, uh, it's definitely kind of the RBG of this year. And I'm excited because I think a lot of people, 
don't because she's not you know on she doesn't have her tv show anymore or her radio show she does a lot of appearances and things so i think a lot of younger people have kind of lost track of who she is and they don't really know her and so i'm excited for them to get to know her and and what she has done i mean she she got people to talk openly about sex and about relationships and and how those two things go together and how they sometimes don't and and yeah she's great so this is just a really fun documentary so i can't wait for you guys to see that one either that's great because i hadn't i actually you're incredibly right with that which is in terms of we haven't i haven't thought about her in years i looked at i saw the promotion stuff coming out of Sundance and it was like oh Dr. Ruth yay good for her (laughs) yeah I had no idea she was still as active as she is you know as far as working and yeah so same here I was I was so glad to see that she's still you know as bright and you know together and vivacious as she was oh yeah Um, there's the opening scene of the doc involves her talking to an Alexa device and it's so funny (laughs) <laughs> so funny so yeah um and then i think the last one i'm going to talk about is just a really fun movie and that is little monsters with lupita nyong'o and josh gad have you guys heard about this one i remember vaguely hearing about it when sunday a bit on. yeah <laughs> so Z- it's a zombie? zombie movie yeah it's a zombie movie um think Shaun of the dead zombie land like zombie comedy movie so lupita nyong'o plays a kindergarten teacher who has her class on a field trip when a zombie outbreak starts at the this is in australia but the zombie outbreak starts of course next door at the u.s army testing facility because you know the u.s army is responsible for all the ills in the world apparently um (laughs) but She's got her kids on this little field trip to this farm. So there's like farm animals and there's tons of tourists. And and Josh Gad plays this American children's television host who happens to be there doing an episode. And they end up locked in the souvenir shop with him. And he's like, he hates children and he's really terrible. (laughs) It's so funny. It's such a different role for both of them. It's great. And there's this other like boring white dude that's there and um he's kind of the main character because he's yeah anyway it doesn't matter but he's the least interesting part the kids are adorable and just like watching the way that like if you if you watch the edits and the way that things are cut you can kind of tell that they really did shield the children from actually ever seeing anything scary and terrible and but it's just really funny it's so well done and you know we don't usually see children in zombie apocalypses so that was kind of fun so i really like that one lupita is amazing and i love her so yeah that should be out i know that got bought too i think neon bought that neon and hulu so i don't know when they're they're gonna release it but i'm guessing that'll be another summer release a lot of these will probably come out in the summer so i saw a bunch of other things too but i think i'll stop there so let's see anything that you guys heard about that you're interested in that i didn't talk about i think you hit all the big ones for me i know oh okay 
Yeah, all of these sound really exciting, to be honest. I'm like, I, I always, I hate Sundance because I never get to go. And then I get to hear about all these. So I'm just like, well, I'll see that in four months. Great. I know. I know. <laughs> but you know what? It'll be worth the wait. I'm looking forward so, to it. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So now that we've talked about good stuff, let's talk about garbage. Because um, we've had a few things come up this week. So R. Kelly... Um, prosecutors are moving forward. They want to, they want to charge him with stuff. They're moving to indict him. Yeah. So there was another videotape found. Um, who would like to give some background on R. Kelly and this saga? I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to say that I think was very different from the last time we talked about this. It's a shame that it has to come down to another piece of videographic evidence. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm still not 100% confident that it's going to do much because as happened in the last trial, even though it was him on tape, they successfully argued that it wasn't. So I can't see them trying I mean I'm hoping they wouldn't try that defense again but they very well could but I'm I'm hoping something happens it would be nice yeah one of the things that the uh the New Yorker article was saying that the, I think that they were the first ones to pick this up was that there it see it sounded like the way that they were presenting it it sounded like the prosecutors did not move ahead with some of the evidence that they actually appeared to have Mm -hmm. um like there's this whole discussion about him carrying around a, a duffel bag full of videotapes uh and things like that that they actually had access to at least some of them and yet they weren't used in in the prosecution so there was some discussion that this was that if this tape had been used along with the other tape and along with the rest of the evidence that they might have actually gotten a conviction but for some reason they didn't go ahead with it uh so I, I will well, say. Well, what this says, sorry, I'm just going to jump in really quick. What this says in the New Yorker, New Yorker article is that um, the girl in the tape was identified by 15 witnesses, including um, Sparkle, the R&B singer. Um, but she didn't testify and her parents didn't testify. So that was part of the problem is that they didn't testify. Uh, sorry. I feel like that they've updated this article since I read it, actually. <laughs> I was just oh, maybe they have. I don't know. Um, uh, it was, uh, no, the only thing that I was going to say was that I do think that we're, and I, I said this on our Slack, um, I do think that we're in a different cultural space right now than we were even in 2002, and certainly than we were in the 1990s. Um, because, you know, it took two tries to get Bill Cosby convicted, despite the preponderance of evidence against him. Um the way that people, I think people, prosecutors in particular, and the culture in general is becoming much more critical of these kinds of behaviors. We're not brushing it under the rug. We're not saying like, oh, this is just, you know, this boys being boys or whatever. Uh, there's a lot, and, and that's turning into actual legal arguments. So I'm hoping that if this actually does get prosecuted and this goes to trial, that we'll actually see results uh, at the end of this. I mean, Bill Cosby went to jail. You know, Harvey Weinstein is being prosecuted all over the place. So hopefully we're going to get that that justice for our uh, with our Kelly. Very, very late, but still. Yeah. 
I mean, better late than never, but yeah, it definitely has taken too long. For yep. these victims, it's really, it's just for these victims, it's a shame that it took as long as it did. I don't think I can really add too, too much to the discussion, but it's just, it. let's hope. I choose to kind of back Lauren up on this one and say things are changing, and here's hoping they can make it stick this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's where I'm at too. I think that Lauren, exactly, you make the the right point. I mean, Bill Cosby eventually was convicted, and it was his first trial was before Weinstein, and his second trial was after. And we this post Weinstein world, even though we're not seeing enough change, and we're not seeing enough, you know, oh, think of the men's careers, and a lot of them are not being ruined at all, even the ones that should. Um, but we are seeing, we are still seeing positive changes in good ways. And um, I think that these types of situations are being taken more seriously. And I hope that it does translate to R. Kelly finally going down. Because I just, I don't understand how he has just gotten away with it time and time again. It just doesn't make sense. Kristen, do you have any other thoughts? No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, tangential to this, and only because he himself made the comparison, Ryan Adams hit the news this week. Um, Ryan Adams is a singer-songwriter. He is also Mandy Moore's really terrible ex-husband. Um, she herself has talked openly about how... Well, she actually was not very open about their the dissolution of their marriage for a long time but she especially this week has been very vocal about the fact that he was very controlling to her and he did that through music and um so there was an article that came up in the new york times this uh where it really you know it's it's basically an expose it gets into the details of his very long career of and habit of um you know trying to exploit girls trying to promise them all kinds of, of exciting contracts and things in the music industry. And then if they rebuffed him at all, he would just pull the rug out and not give them what he promised. And uh, a lot of this had to do with minors. He was texting minor, minor girls, like 15 and 16 year olds. Um, it's just, it's sick. And he himself said that, um, I can't find the exact quote right now, but he, he basically said that he was like R. Kelly. He he compared himself to R. Kelly. And um, so that's the level that we're looking at here. I thought it was interesting when this came up and you guys were like, who's Ryan Adams? Is this... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm terrible, terrible with music, so... I am too, but yeah, like, it's just, it's funny what? because... Yeah, well, it's just funny because, I mean, he's kind of like in this this like rock punk like hybrid mix kind of a little folk too and like he was really popular when I was in school up in Utah he was really popular among the people that like John Mayer and Dave Matthews and those guys so that's why he's I kind haven't of a contemporary heard of, of them yeah Same. he's, yeah, he's a contemporary no of them so yeah <laughs> but I mean this is a big deal because I mean if you're in that scene he's on that level with those guys and so, I mean, he had, he probably didn't have as much influence as he claimed, but 
he would have been in a position to have a lot of influence and to really help um, jumpstart some careers. And so just like with so many of these guys, you know, to use that to exploit, especially young girls, it's sick. It's so sick. And I mean, I don't know if he's, I don't know if there's anything that they can prosecute him for. I don't, I know they're looking into it with, you know, cause he's had some, a lot of sexually explicit messages back and forth with, with underage girls. So I don't know if there's anything they can get him on, but at the very least now people know what he's about. So I don't know. What I do just, you... I just found that R Kelly quote. Oh, he okay. says if people, he says if people knew they would say I was like R Kelly, LOL. Yeah. That was in a text message he sent to one of the girls. Yeah. Right? To, to a 16 year old girl while he was asking her for more pics. Yeah. Oh, according oh. to this article oh. when oh. he was 40 and she was just 16. You were blowing my mind. He had pet names for her body parts. Yeah. Ew. 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 Very ew. It's always the guys that look like moon-faced, cherubic man babies that... (laughs) Like... I mean, most people after this broke, this was pretty much an open secret among women that he was an asshole, and I know I've read a couple blind items when Mandy Moore was married to him, and they all pretty much said that he treated her like garbage. So it's sad that, again, it's finally coming out now. Um, And there are many women in the music industry who have been commenting and have been saying that their relationships were more working and professional and they didn't have those experiences, but that they're supportive. I know, like, Liz Fair and Jenny Lewis have come out and said that they, they believe these women first and foremost. So another dick you know like another asshole it's it's sad that at this point what he's done is not really anything shocking because they all do it in some form or another yeah so many of these guys are just like oh yeah he's an asshole this doesn't surprise me at all like it i there's there's just something so shocking about about it that you're like oh yeah he totally would do something like that because he's a jerk and that's what jerks do i think someone on twitter said um you know, I, I'm learning that when women are called assholes, that just means they're being a little bitchy. But when men are called assholes, they're probably rapists. Like, it's just like, oh, so that too. an asshole that too. means yeah. that, oh, you have harassed or raped or sent inappropriate messages to or asked for nude pics from, like, you know, teenage girls or something like that. That's that's the level that we're at. God. Yeah. Oh, it's so gross. And well, and um. We can talk more about this later, but yesterday, all day long, I was watching the show You on Netflix, and um, it's really funny because I've heard so many people talking about, well, I know Joe's not a good guy, but he's so cute, and you just feel for him, and I'm watching this show going, are you people fucking insane? This guy is a monster, and he's terrible, and, and the thing is, like, I just have come to realize that like when a guy is charming I automatically assume there's something wrong with him automatically and (laughs) so I think that's why I'm not (laughs) exactly like no guy is that nice and some of them are but they're not gonna like I'm not gonna trust it for a really long time you know 
Are you saying charming equates to you must be a sociopath? <laughs> exactly. Are you saying that we should not trust Army Hammer? I'm saying that there, the the smile doesn't always go to the eyes, so you got to look for that. <laughs> and I'm saying yeah, it's not a problem. This is why I'm gonna. This is why I'm gonna be. Blake Lively with my head in someone's trunk, okay? It's going to end up in a trash can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like we talk about this all the time, that the feeling of a guy who just doesn't feel right, right? That, yeah. like, and it's an emo- it's almost this emotional response. Like, there's something off about you. There's something wrong with you. Even though on the surface you're perfectly charming, you're nice, you smile, you say good things, you know, all of that stuff. You're just like, but there's something wrong. And for so long, I think women have been almost conditioned to be like, oh, that's just like my paranoia. And it's just like, no, maybe it's not, actually. Maybe we should just listen to ourselves and be like, I, I don't trust you at all. And there's something about you that is not trustworthy. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if you guys have ever listened to the podcast, My Favorite Murder. Um, I used all to listen time, to it. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's one of their things is fuck politeness. <laughs> fuck politeness because it's going to get you killed. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the thing. Well, and, and I think that that's a big reason why so many of these guys like R. Kelly, like, like Ryan Adams, they go after younger girls because they can groom them. Those girls don't know not to trust anyone yet. They haven't learned. Because a lot of times you have to learn that the hard way, you know. And uh, so that's why they go for the younger girls. I mean, how old was Mandy Moore when they got together? She was still pretty young. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it just gives them that extra layer of, of power and that extra opportunity to really form these girls to what they want. And it's it's sick. And this is the thing. Like, I don't... Parents... I know there are parents listening to this. If some dude is being nice to your kid, question it. Don't just let him have access to your kid without knowing exactly what's going on because I'm sorry, you can't always trust them. And no, not every guy is a predator. Not every guy is is someone that you have to be worried about. But you don't know which ones you do have to worry about. So it's better to be safe than sorry. Did you just pre not all men? Did you just pre not all men yourself? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. All right. Ugh, let's stop talking about gross men. Let's talk instead about, well, I guess this is still about gross men, but for a different reason. The Academy Academy caved! (laughs) Yay! Oh my gosh, you guys. I mean, I'm more entrenched in this world than you are just because of, you know, necessity, because of my work at Award Circuit, but this Academy thing is a shit show. Holy crap. John Bailey has got to go. It's hilarious to watch in real time, because when we put that stuff Uh up on the agenda, last night, by the way, everybody, the night before (laughs) we recorded, we were like, I was like, oh, we need to, we should probably talk about the fact that they're eliminating like four (laughs) categories or or broadcasting them during the the commercial breaks. They're just like, oh, no, now they're not, apparently. Great. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, well, this has been, this has been ongoing, actually. That, That was something that they first brought up last summer as a way one of the ways that they're going to reduce the amount of time that the show runs because this has been a big topic like oh the oscars are gonna be exactly three hours we're not gonna go over three hours well fuck that you know i i have been saying abc needs to call i mean the oscars need to call disney's bluff and just 
not worry about it because they're not going to just stop the broadcast at exactly three hours and not air best director, best picture. You know, they're going to let it keep going. They may not be happy about it, but they're not going to turn it off. So um, especially when they have people in the running, they have Black Panther in the running. Exactly. And so, um, yeah. So what happened was one of the one of the ways that they said they were going to shorten the show was by moving some of the awards to commercial breaks. And they never they didn't say what those categories would be, but they were like, yeah, and then we'll we'll end up showing the speeches at some point during the show, which basically that's stupid. What's the point of cutting it then? So this week, what happened was they finally announced which categories they were. And it was makeup, live action short, cinematography, and film editing. And literally you cannot have a movie without cinematography and film editing. You can have a movie without actors. You can have a movie without a script. You can have a movie without a lot of things, but you can't have a movie without a film or an editor. Uh, so yeah so anyway so that really rankled a lot of people and I mean obviously I think cinematography was picked so that John Bailey could be like well look guys see I was a cinematographer we all have to make sacrifices but it's also interesting because several people quickly pointed out that makeup editing and cinematography were three categories that are not in the top eight where Disney has zero nominees so Ooh, I'm sure that shocking. wasn't a coincidence. Oh, I didn't <laughs> notice that. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, there are only five, um, five categories outside of the the top those top eight categories that Disney has zero nominees, and one of them was going to be broadcast. So that was live live um, documentary short. But yeah, the other four. Hmm, gee, isn't that funny? So, yeah, I'm sure that was just a coincidence. But anyway, so a lot of people, as soon as this broke, a lot of people, not just film Twitter, but like filmmakers, Guillermo del Toro, Alfonso Cuaron, big name celebrities, everybody came out and said, no, this is wrong. This is ridiculous. The cinematographer's branch, which John Bailey is in the Academy through the cinematographer's branch, they were like, no, we can't let this stand. This isn't okay. And so finally, last night, they announced that they were backing down and that finally present all 24 is going to happen. So all 24 categories will be shown on the main broadcast. Well, this, I mean, this whole thing has been so fucking stupid, but one of the things that a number of people pointed out was that, um, that editing cinematography, all of the categories other than maybe live action short. Um, but the other three categories were also places where women in particular had excelled. So mm-hmm. you're, you're talking about like yep. pushing. So a lot, and a lot of the time, these are people that don't get recognition. Otherwise, you know, we don't talk about a, um, you know, this film, we don't talk a great deal about this film was shot by so-and-so. We talk about the director. We talk about the people that are in it. We talk about the writer, but we very rarely talk about the cinematographer, or the editor, but that's how films get constructed. Um, makeup and hairstyling, particularly in a Hollywood context. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. like of all of the things, that is some of the most important work that gets done on a film because, I, you know, actors don't look like that, right? They actually right. do have makeup and hairstyling, and sometimes it can go all the way into prosthetics. I, I know I saw an interview with um, the Suspiria uh, makeup artist and talking about 
uh, talking about the way that Tilda Swinton had been made up to look like uh, to look like the the male doctor, all of that stuff. This is really important shit. And to just be like, oh no, it's not important enough that for you to actually watch this. Like, no, it is. It it really is. You know, I get bored by the Academy Awards, but I would much rather see them cut, you know, all the dumb shit musical numbers and stupid audience interactions than the actual awards. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. And I mean, I love all that that stuff that people get really bored by. But even still, I would way rather watch the, you know, the cinematographer accept an award than watch, you know, another musical number. Not not the <laughs> not the best song nominees cuz those should definitely be in there, but you know, I just uh, this was so stupid. This was such a bad a bad move on their part. They're trying to fix a problem without understanding the problem. And, you know, this whole thing is, oh, we want to attract more viewers. We want to gain ratings. Well, but you're alienating the viewers you already have. And exactly. you're not fixing the problem the right way. And like what I've been saying forever, and actually this was backed up by a couple of people this week, like, um, uh, I can't even think of who now, but a couple of like big time filmmakers and stuff that what got me fascinated by movies is watching some of these little featurettes about how sound is created and how they edit a film together and how, uh, you know, how John Williams conducts an orchestra to do the score, like watching those things. It's fascinating seeing how they do the makeup, seeing the, the thought that goes into Sandy Powell designing a costume. It's fascinating to watch. And that's going to, you know, some kids going to see that and they're going to be like, wow, this is something I could do. And another point that someone else made about cinematography, like what you were saying, Lauren, about how this is where a lot of women get nominated and stuff. Um, as far as the categories that are cut, here's the thing about cinematography in that statement, John Bailey is saying like, we're trying to appeal to a more of a worldwide audience. Guess what's interesting about cinematography this year? Three of the nominees are foreign language films. He needs to go. Yeah. <laughs> he really needs to go. Yeah. For the first time ever, three of the cinematography nominees are from foreign films and they're trying to appeal to a world audience and they're sitting there saying, oh, well, we're going to just put those in the commercial break. So the likelihood that someone from a foreign film is going to win that category is very high and they're not going to get to see that. Like, that was ridiculous. Like, you're right, Kim. He needs to go. It's time. He's been in there. He's just, he hasn't done anything to move the Academy forward. In fact, he's moved it backward in a lot of ways from what Cheryl Boone Isaacs had led. And it's very frustrating. And I just, oh, he, I, I yeah. This, this term needs to end. I don't know what kind of deals he has worked out with Disney, but I'm tired of it. I have been watching the Academy Awards since probably before I can remember when I was small, small, small. And that was one of the first things to get me really interested and in, into Hollywood and filmmaking. And to watch this shit show that this show has be, you know, the lead up to this show has become, it's depressing. It's it's mortifying as, you know, a historian to film historian to see, you know, to think of the history of the Oscars and everything that's come before this and to see it turn into this. It hurts. It really makes me think he needs to go. Yeah, he does. Definitely. Um, so something else that was interesting that came up this week was um, 
a story about Elitza Aparicio, who is the star of Roma, the Oscar-nominated star of Roma. That's very exciting for her. I'm very happy for her. Um, so this was an article that I came across. This is in a on a website called Latino Rebels, and um, this was a, a story that really caught me by surprise. There's a group of actresses that are asking basically the Mexican Academy, the Mexican Film Academy, to not allow Yulitza Aparicio to be nominated. To, they just don't want her nominated. And it's it's got a lot to do with the fact that she's a first-time actress and they are trying to... Um, they're trying to to block that. I'm sorry. The article right here it has the quote in Spanish, and I forgot to pull it up in time to translate it again. But basically, their problem with it is just that she, you know, a lot of these actresses that are trying to block this are uh, more famous. They're more established, and they're seeing themselves being threatened by this newcomer. And... um. And uh, they're, yeah, they're not happy about it. And I think this gets a lot into, you know, classism and which ironically is what her character is dealing with in Roma. So I don't know. Did you guys have thoughts about this story? Well, she's an indigenous actress. I mean, I I think that that's that's one of the undercurrents. And I think that the article even says that, that this isn't just, you know, the fact that these, that, that this group is getting so upset about, an indigenous actress getting nominated for um, for an Academy Award. I, I don't know how you could argue that this doesn't have something to do with racism, but it, it, it does kind of point out, we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about Roma and about the way that Roma has played in the United States. And I've, I've wondered, and I haven't done tons of research about it, but I've wondered how it has played in Mexico and what the conversations have been about in Mexico. Because it is very much about, it's not just about class, it is also about race and it is about, right. and it's about yeah. language. Um, and, and that's one of the things that's going on in that film, you know, for better or for worse. So somehow it doesn't surprise me that there is a group that is basically expressing a very racist attitude towards a woman mm-hmm. who, you know, is receiving international recognition. I mean, if she wins or even just the fact of her being nominated gives an international recognition to uh, Mexican cinema and to, and in particular to, um, to the indigenous people of Mexico. And that that's important. And I'm certain that there are a lot of Mexican races that are not pleased with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily have specific thoughts on it, but it is frustrating that even in the country that she's, you know, a resident of, she can't get recognition. Well, and I think that that goes to show, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about racism in the United States, and I'm not going to start to pretend to be an expert on how it is in other countries. But the thing is that that's not just an American problem. It's not just a United States problem. It's nope. everywhere. And it's stupid everywhere, but it exists everywhere. And it's something that, you know, no matter where you go, you have to you have to fight against it. Good for, I mean, I hope she, I was thrilled to see her nominated. I mean, I was kind of all over the map on Roma. I do would like to, you know, I hope that other than some of the other choices, I'd love to see it contention for Best Picture. Um, I was thrilled to see her nominated. I thought she had a damn fine performance. And I truly hope that this conversation just, you know, I hope 
the film festival they're speaking about nominates her, especially, you know, I mean, I haven't, I can't call myself an expert on Mexican cinema and I don't know what else is in the running down there, but this racism has no place in it. And if she's, you know, worthy, what she's shown she is with the best actress nomination, she should get nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have to say that racism has always played a part in people that haven't been nominated or if they are nominated where they're placed as we've seen with something like Green Book. So it's not it's not surprising to me to see it all. Yeah. Yeah, it's disappointing. Um, and <laughs> I mean, I definitely have a personal choice in the race, but it just, this makes me like even more, you know, hey, if Aparicio wins the Oscar, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Exactly. Same here. It would be it would be a great fuck you. I mean, it really would Wouldn't on it? so many <laughs> levels. On so many levels, yep. particularly even what's going on in this country right now, like all of it. It it would be, it would be a it would be very funny. I would find it funny. Like, <laughs> it's like yeah, exactly. fuck you guys. Yep. So, um, all right, let's move on to some more fun stuff. So. Um, we had a couple of trailers this week that, I mean, there were a bunch, but there's just two that we really want to talk about. Um, and they're both very intriguing for different reasons. One is The Hustle and the other is Ma. So let's talk a little bit first about The Hustle, which I have been to the movies twice this week and I've seen the trailer twice on the big screen and it's just I can't wait for this, but um, Kristen, I know you expressed the most excitement when it first dropped. So why don't you talk about the hustle? I don't know if it's necessarily excitement. I was, I'm interested. Um, so this. Oh, did, you're excited? I own it. I can't own it. No, no, it's not. It's not excitement. <laughs> it's it's very high interest. So so we'll go okay. with that. Um, this is a remake of the film Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which they did in 88 with Steve Martin and who the hell is the other guy in it? Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Um, I've only seen it once, so that explains how memorable it is to me. Um, but it's the story of two women in, in The Hustle, played by Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson, who are con women and engage in a series of cons with the goal that the loser will leave town uh, based on who is more successful. So I saw Dirty Rotten Scoundrels five five or six years ago. I had a, a male friend who told me it was the funniest movie ever made and that it was fantastic and I should watch it. And I watched it and okay um i was not a fan of it at all i did not understand what he saw that i didn't i think there's maybe only about one scene in the movie that i remember and i just wasn't big on it so i know we're not 100 percent happy about remakes of movies where the, the gimmick is just put women in it but if ghostbusters taught us anything that can actually work and i watched the trailer for this and i think it looks really fun I'm not really excited to see what Rebel Wilson does because it just seems like more of her shtick, but I am excited to see Anne Hathaway. As I've been telling everybody, she is embracing her noir queen roots. And I think here with that accent, which I'm hoping they reveal at the end is fake because it sounds fake. 
Um, but I, I'm all for her just being this cool, awesome, kick-ass woman. Like, put her and Blake Lively in a movie where they just play elegance and evil, and I, I'd be sold. So this does look fun, um, and I think it might actually be more entertaining than the original film. That's shocking to say, but I <laughs> Well, I love the tagline for it. They're giving dirty, rotten men a run for their money. Like, oh, that, how in this day and age, how could you not want a movie like that? So, Well, and so many of the jokes in the film are about the fact that, what does she say? You know, why, why do women excel at the con? And I think Rebel Wilson says, because we're good at faking it. And <laughs> just the whole idea that women are underestimated. Yes, it's not a revelation, but I do like that it's a movie that I'm hoping will poke fun at the the way con artists are portrayed in film. You know, if you look at male con men and or con men versus con women, it's it's very different in cinema. It does give me pause a little bit. This has four writers, all men. Uh, and one is, is a woman actually, I think. Oh, okay, cool. Yay. Okay, so three men, one woman. I don't necessarily know if that's a slightly better but uh and it's it's directed uh by chris addison who has predominantly done television that's not a bad thing by any stretch but i'm still not really 100 percent on board with movies about women that have only one woman or no women so in positions of power whether it's director or screenwriter so i'm still a little skeptical but the trailer got me I am incredibly excited. <laughs> I am like, um, I am thrilled by the existence of this film. And Anne Hathaway is basically doing like, what happens to Daphne after Ocean's 8? This is what <laughs> happens to Daphne. Yes. Like, I'm yep. going to go off and I'm going to start conning a bunch of dumb men. Like, uh-huh. awesome. Awesome. I'm totally down for it. And I actually really like Rebel Wilson. I know that everyone's like, oh, this is just her shtick. It's like, yeah, but it's a fun shtick. And if they balance each other really well i think that it could work mm-hmm. i say shtick as someone who saw isn't it romantic twice in 40 in 24 hours so um i can't i can't judge too harshly I, w- I will jump in just to say in defense of the movie clicking into the writers on imdb two of them died before 2000 like eight so i'm thinking they gave the original to the writers on dirty rotten scoundrels credit so it looks like there's only two oh, okay um, I was look um, Dale Launer and Jack, it looks like Jack Schaefer. I, I was looking. I this trailer has grown on me each time that I've watched it. I will. I was. I watched Dirty Rotten Scoundrels a lot growing up. I probably haven't watched it in fifteen years, but I've said before on this podcast a lot of my film viewing was shaped by my you know my father in the eighties, so it makes perfect sense. I remember enjoying it but I haven't watched it lately. So I really can't say, um, I loved Anne Hathaway in this trailer. I, you know, I can take or leave Rebel Wilson, but I thought what Anne Hathaway was doing looked absolutely stellar and I can't wait to see it. Um, I did take to Twitter. I'm kind of in that ballpark of, do we really have to do another, you know, swap, you know, swapped remake. I'd rather see them tell, you know, tell a story about two female con women. That's not, 
you know, a remake of this, mainly because I don't want to hear if if this isn't good, if this for some reason doesn't go over well, I don't want to hear the fanboys and the, you know, the over and over, you know, she's not Steve Martin, she's not Michael Caine, because probably because I associate Steve Martin in particular with that breed of obnoxious fanboys and film Twitter in this, level, you know, will be lining up, I'm sure to jump out and say that. But I mean, I looking forward to seeing this and i think it looks like it's going to be really funny i and i hope it lives up to what they're showing comes out may 10th it sure does and then the other one that um i don't know i've been excited about this since i first heard about it and that is ma with octavia spencer it is a horror film directed by tate taylor who directed the help um so they're reuniting, and uh, I don't know. This looks really intriguing. So, um, <clears throat> what did you guys think about Ma? This is either going to be really entertaining or an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> and I say that You're as so somebody. Cynical. You're like I, the not... most cynical person really among is. us. I'm amazed. I'm not so cynical. True. I. I am not cynical. I am just playing the odds, okay? <laughs> considering <laughs> considering that of the four movies Tate Taylor has directed, I've seen three. And one of them is actually good. And I say good as in it's well-made and it's good and it's entertaining, okay? Um, so, so I say that as somebody who has seen all of his films. Um, but I do like that this is giving Octavia Spencer a horror movie. It's a film that I don't really know what the plot is necessarily, other than it's a bunch of kids that ask this woman to buy them booze, and then she becomes their bestie, and then she... Well, she, like, offers up her basement for them to have yeah. parties. Yeah, yeah we're right, right. But, but it all culminates with her becoming obsessed, and I feel like the obsession genre, which we're seeing a lot of, we still see a lot of in cinema it's still very much romantically inclined and here i'm fascinated by the fact that it's a woman that doesn't seem to have romantic inclinations for these children so what is her angle you know i want to know what that angle is um is it like the hand that rocks the cradle and she's like some sort of bitter wanted to be a mom type of thing like i don't know but i'm intrigued by what I don't see. And the fact that it's got, you know, a bunch of big names in it too, other than Octavia Spencer, which is enough that you need. Um, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued. I am, I'm ready. Okay. So Tate Taylor gets me every <laughs> single goddamn time. That yeah. son of a bitch. I'm fascinated by the fact that this is supposed to be about her and these teenagers, but yet you've got Missy Pyle, Luke Evans, Juliette Lewis, Allison Janney. It's like, wow. I'm willing this is to a ignore the Luke Evans. I'm willing to ignore that Luke Evans is present in this. Well, you see, they say one thing in there. They make a drop about how the parents were all in high school together. Uh And I wonder if that has something to do with it. I'm hoping they didn't just, they didn't drop their hand in their trailer. Uh, Now I'm like, I I forgot. You what? I was going to, I was saying the wheels are turning because I totally didn't catch that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I do have to say one of the things that looks really interesting to me about this film is that the way that her character, like the way that her character is presented and even the, the name, it seems like an inversion of the mammy trope. Uh, that this is actually like her Ooh. taking on, and it's interesting because it's directed by the same guy who did the help. So, you know, I I don't know where this is going to fall and all of that, but it it really like just her appearance, the way that she presents herself, the you know the the idea of like oh I've got this really cool place in the woods, and you and you kids can come out here and hang out, and we'll and it'll be great. And they're all a bunch, almost entirely. I think that they're all white teenagers. Although I'm not going to say that 100% because I only watched the trailer once. Um, and then she, she's going to terrorize them, and that that this could be a really interesting treatment of the mammy trope and her kind of taking possession of that and be, and being like, no, 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 you want to be frightened of me. This is not a good and happy place. Like I'm taking revenge. Uh, mm-hmm. And if that's the direction that they're going to go with this film, which I'm, I'm very much hoping, it, it could be really interesting. Yeah. When are children going to learn that if somebody invites you to their house in the woods, not a fun party. Like, when are kids going to learn <laughs> that? What are the damn children going to learn? They're never going to, to their, learn. Yeah. <laughs> take their ball off the lawn and not go into the woods with sketchy people. It doesn't matter whether it's Octavia Spencer or Army Hammer. I'm just going to keep throwing him out here this episode. Uh, <laughs> stop going into the woods with strangers. <laughs> well, uh, you can find out exactly why on March 31st. Tate Taylor gets me every time. He <laughs> and I are apparently either bitter enemies or best friends. Go figure. <laughs> All right, the best of frenemies. Um, okay, so there were two movies that we want to talk about this week. Um, one is a short documentary, actually, which is now playing on Netflix, and that is called Period End of Sentence. Did you guys get a chance to watch it? Yes, I did. Yep. Okay, awesome. So this is, um, it's 25 minutes long, and like I said, it's playing on Netflix, so you guys can go you know, after you listen to this, go, go watch it. Cause it's great. Um, so basically it is about in India, um, menstruation and girls getting their periods is still something that you just don't ever talk about. And it's kind of this mysterious thing, um, because they just aren't open about having those conversations. And so this film is basically, Um, kind of opening up some of those conversations but it's also there's a machine for making pads that is brought into this little town and this little village outside of Delhi in India and so that these women can basically start their own business of making pads and having sanitary products um, for when they're on their periods and um, what did you guys think of of the documentary? I really found it interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned this to us, I think yesterday and I was like, Oh, I, cause I'd seen it. I'd seen it advertised on Netflix and then I, I'd kind of ignored it because I, I just was like, Oh, whatever. Um, yeah, it's really fascinating. I mean, I, th- I think that it's fascinating to see what, what they actually say about periods and menstruation at the beginning of the film, because everyone's giggling and everyone's really embarrassed by it. But many of these women uh, and girls just, obviously don't have any, they don't even seem to know what it is that like why it happens and um 
And then when they began talking about the fact that, you know, oh, you just use whatever, whatever cloth is available. And I'm just like, no, oh my God, no, yeah. that is so, that's such a bad idea. Cause it, it, it exposes that this is that, you know, menstruation and refusing to talk about it and not really understanding it does kind of mean it, it's a public health hazard. First of all, like you, I, I can't believe that there aren't people that are getting that are being killed or getting serious illnesses as a result of not knowing, you know, that the way the way that you need to deal with periods and the fact that no, you probably shouldn't use just any cloth at hand. I mean, that seems like a terrible idea, both uncomfortable and potentially dangerous. Um, and and then to and then also the way that simply having affordable sanitary products actually enables women to live their lives and to move outside. So some of these women are like, I can't go anywhere. Um, when I'm on my period, I can't go into the temple. I can't, I don't go to school because, um, it's so embarrassing and because there's so much other stuff that you have to deal with. And that just having the ability to make their own sanitary pads or to, uh, or to purchase them affordably, uh, is a major difference in them being independent human beings. And that that's true. That's true across cultures. I mean, we've talked about this in, uh, in the United States and about the, the women's tax, the fact that you can pick up free condoms any, like anywhere in, in uh, the city, but you can't get free sanitary napkins. And I'm sorry, we don't have a choice about periods for the most part this is not something that we're like oh yeah i can take or leave there's just like no no no. i i have to, i have to deal with this in one way or another i have to deal with it either using birth control or i have to deal with it you know monthly using uh sanitary napkins or tampons that's just a fact of life and yet we're being taxed on it it is um still being treated as this taboo and you've got these women in India who are like, okay, we're going to move forward. We're going to try to change the conversation and we're actually going to become financially independent as a result. I really liked it. I wish the, that it was being talked about more, actually. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, this was a story that I didn't know. I mean, I think we all know that in underdeveloped countries that things like Sanit menstrual sanitation and all of that is not being discussed. We just kind of lump it in with everything else that is plaguing these countries. And and Lauren's right. You know, we complain here about having to pay the the quote unquote pink tax, but in other countries, they don't even have these products to begin with. And so watching these these people, you know, th there's so many different facets to this documentary. Whether it's the fact that women are not even allowed to talk about being on their period, they're not allowed to go to temple and pray to the gods. I think at one point one woman says, "Oh, don't pray because the gods won't hear you while you're menstruating." Like, yeah, she was seriously? told that by one of their religious leaders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the fact that the men will will knowingly disavow any knowledge of what menstruation is, like when they're making the the machines and they're making pads. They're like, oh, it's a machine for diapers. And they're like, you know what it is. And he's they won't even acknowledge it. The patriarchy there is so ingrained in this mentality that women are dirty that they don't even want to acknowledge what is right in front of their faces. And then you have this subplot that is happening where I love that it's a man who designs this machine to create low-cost, like hyper-effective. I was kind of, as a, as a woman... I was kind of laughing at the pads they were making because they look like bricks. I mean, they're ginormous. Um, 
but but it is it is showing the fact that there is a market for this and that if these women can get them sold then they can make some money for themselves while also helping women deal with a, you know a, a health hazard that only allows men to discriminate against them more so i was really fascinated by this Just to piggyback kind of on what Lauren said, the first thing I thought of was how just how we're so reticent to talk about it, you know, talk about periods, talk about menstruation, you know, and you can see the nervousness, you can see the embarrassment, you know, you can see how nervous they are, you can see how embarrassed they are, and how that still really permeates everywhere. I kind of, I think back, it was a couple, it was probably a year or so ago now, there was somebody, I know it was on Twitter about it, was posting, it was Instagram, I think, there was a picture of a woman who was on her, she was asleep and she was on her period and it had bled through, like I'm sure it's happened to each and every one of us. And Instagram flagged it as inappropriate. And, you know, thinking about the, I don't know, I've read a lot about the luxury tax on feminine goods in the United Kingdom. And I remember a group of women who, as protests, I believe, stood out in front of Parliament and just free bled because it's, you know, sitting there going, well, this, okay, if this is such a luxury item here, let's show you what happens when we don't have these. You know, this is a necessity. And we're so, there's such an inability to talk about a natural process when this is just, it's a stigma that needs to be gotten rid of. It happens. It happens to all of us at one time or another. And, you know, it's not something that makes, you know, we have to deal with it. We have to deal with the hormones. And I'm glad that they made this and, you know, addressed this topic. And I thought it was really well done and how they talked about it. You know, that half the male fan base that does listen to us has just been like, nope, we're just going to fast forward over all of this. <laughs> we'll be back when you talk about a regular movie that's not about ladies bleeding all over the place. <laughs> that's which thing. is you know, like, I, you're bleeding out of your what? Yeah, which is unfortunate. The horror, the horror that some men express about this, just like literally almost every woman you have ever met has gone through this. Like your moms, your your sisters, your wives, your girlfriends, your female friends, everybody. Like and this is not a secret. This is not something that, you know, oh, we don't have a choice. And there's so much misinformation about it. I remember in um, uh, in a horror film class, I love telling the story, but in a horror film class, our professor, male professor was asking us, you know, what is, what is the most, we're talking about monstrous feminine, and we're talking about what is the most abject kind of blood. And everyone sitting there was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, this is about 50-50 male, female, right? And finally, someone, a, a, a dude was, was like, oh, period blood. And the professor was like, yes, it's, it's this, it's dead blood. It's all of this. And meanwhile, all of the women are sitting there going like, well, that's not object. That's, that's normal. That's like something we have to go through all the fucking time. It's only abject to random men who are grossed out by it. And it's like, guys, like, get with the program here. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, are you saying that Stephen King has no right to make every single one of his movies about this <laughs> I was just horror that comes from getting your period? Exactly. Are you Lauren? Exactly. It's, it's like the horror of a woman bleeding out her vagina. It's just like every, every, almost every woman, right? So, you know, not every single woman ever, but 
almost every woman experiences this. This is normal. And it starts when you're an adolescent and it goes through to menopause. That's the way that it is. Like, get get on board, guys, because we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah, one of the things that I thought was... Um, well, so I watched this this week because I'm trying to get through all the Oscar nominees before next week. But um, I turned it on. I think I watched it just like the day after I had read an article about in Nepal, which is next door to India, um, a woman had died in a menstruation tent because of a fire. And this is something that's very common. They, it's, not technically legal in India or Nepal, but it still happens where in certain rural areas they still send yeah, the they story. still send yeah. the women away. They have to go isolate themselves from the community when they're on their periods and a lot of considered them considered unclean. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of them end up dying. And so I was that was on my mind as I was watching this because it's still such a part of the culture. And they even say someone even in this this film says at one point that this is just part of living in a patriarchal society and it's so true the other thing i thought was really interesting about this um when they when these women get to start their company and they get to name it and they go through that whole process and then they go out and they're selling and they're trying to convince women why they need these these sanitary pads um, why it's good for them and they're so excited because they sell out of their supply and they're like we made 180 rupees today and they were so excited about that that's about two dollars and fifty cents u.s and that was what they made for the entire day and i just was really just like wow this is still the world that we live in, that these people live in, that, I mean, that's great that they were able to have a good day and that they're able to be proud of that. But I just thought, man, there are so many economies in the world that are still, you know, so far from, from the luxuries that we have. And it just, you know, it just kind of, I've been to India and I've seen what, what their lives are like. And, but it still was just kind of like this stark reminder to me of like how good I have it and, and how blessed I am to live in a country where I have so many more opportunities and I have, you know, basic access to things that I take for granted. I just don't even think about. And so, so it was enlightening for a lot of reasons, but it also was just a big reminder for me to just be more grateful for what I have. So any final thoughts? Go watch it. It's really good. Check it yeah, out. Yeah, watch it. Good recommendation. It's in your TV right now, so watch it. Um, and it's okay, only 25 minutes. So, exactly. Not a know, big you commitment. You don't have to spend a lot of time, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, So and it's good. So, okay, so there was a big wide release movie this week that we wanted to talk about, too, and that is, speaking of Rebel Wilson, Isn't It Romantic? So... Kristen and I got to see this the other night together and I think I annoyed her because I was singing along to pretty much every song. <laughs> I was having a good you old time. You were not nearly as bad as the obviously <laughs> intoxicated women that were sitting next to us. Oh my gosh, they were so blasted. It was hilarious. <laughs> Those ladies were having a whale of a time. Yes, they were. They surely were. They were going to bust out into choreography. I was... <laughs> Very I'm pretty concerned. sure they were doing choreography from their seats. They might so. have been. They might have been. 
Isn't It Romantic is the story of... Um, so Rebel Wilson plays this girl who hates... She basically, she plays Kristen. She hates romantic comedies. She thinks they're all stupid. <laughs> and, uh... I just hate them. I'm just aware of their flaws. Okay. She hates joy. Exactly. And, and so is so is Natalie. <laughs> She's aware of As Rebel Wilson says, that's why they're called flaws, okay? <laughs> um, but she ends up bonking her head in the subway when she gets mugged and she wakes up in a romantic comedy. And she wakes up to Tom Ellis, my dream. <laughs> I, I I would be in a She wakes hospital, up in a PG thirteen but... comedy. Where they can't have sex, but she can still see a dick. Go figure that one. <laughs> Off camera. It doesn't so matter. She, so did she really see it? <laughs> um, I'm going to assume yes, because I want to. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So, um, let's see. Kim, I think you saw this first, so why don't you share your thoughts? I, you know, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I'm still kind of, I'm trying to wrap up writing my review there. The one criticism I had, and it's not even so much the film's fault because I thought they did an absolutely great job and, you know, coming from four female writers, I would have loved to have seen this from the perspective of a female director was really kind of what I was sitting there thinking as I watched it, but that just undeniably this it was so cute so much fun i i enjoyed the world build i thought they did such a great job with that world building you know the little details when you're she's i think at one point she's standing in front of her apartment which you know in the real world it's a shitty rundown block in new york and after she bumps her head it turns into this you know hipsterville i guess you know brightly colored buildings there's cupcake shops you know you look at the details behind her and the signs and there's like wedding rings and it's just it's romantic comedy land they it was so bright so candy colored just it it was perfectly done i thought with that i thought i enjoyed rebel wilson and i tend to i tend to not with her so i was really pleased by that i wasn't expecting to like this at all uh adam divine too as the he is so good at that delightfully supportive uh, supportive significant other he's so good as the best friend I've seen him do that in other roles that I just, I'm so quick to write it off as chemistry, but he keeps doing it. And he's just, he, he can look at a woman like she's the only person in the world who matters and he deserves, he deserves to have all the romantic comedies, but curse that movie for underutilizing Tom Ellis, man. One day they lured me in with Tom Ellis in the trailer and he only gets one scene. It pissed me off. (laughs) (laughs) But they make up for it with a Hemsworth and a saxophone. <laughs> and a PG-13 <laughs> sex scene. That, those, those cute little takedowns on the tropes were just so funny. I thought that PG-13 sex scene where she keeps having to jump on him because it keeps getting to the next morning. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to... And the I... inability, her inability to curse. I mean, that... <laughs> It was really clever, really cute, really clever. And that I want that soundtrack because that soundtrack was basically high school for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, I won't say too much because Karen and I actually 
decided we were going to start doing some stuff for Patreon, we did a full review on the way home from the movie. When we're we doing saw car it. reviews. We're doing car reviews. So that'll be up soon. So I won't try to repeat myself from what I said there, but I did end up going the next day and took my mom to go see it. And I enjoyed it just as much as I did the first time. It's, it's fluffy. It will not be a movie that you remember come the end of the year, but it is entertaining. Um, I, I think a lot of my criticisms that I had that I said in the car review, we did still stand. It's very safe and it doesn't, necessarily critique things too heavily but i mean it just justified my my love that i've always held for baby hemsworth so if anything it you should go watch it and then go watch the dressmaker on amazon prime and then you'll understand why i've been giving that kid a pass for the last like four years <laughs> okay if you say so um, I, no, no, you need to watch the movie and then you will understand it all. You cannot, you cannot be you and not have seen it. So, yeah. <laughs> Tell me okay. that after you've watched it and then I'll believe it okay. It doesn't actually fix anything. <laughs> you played a saxophone, for God's sakes, okay? There are only, before this, only two people that were allowed to play saxophone and it was awesome. The guy from The Lost Boys, the John Hampton <laughs> playing the guy from the lost boys and now we get to add liam hemsworth so <laughs> sax man saxophone <sighs> listening to saxophone exactly <laughs> exactly well, i told karen i told karen i th wondered if that was intentional if that was an intentional <laughs> thing Chris hemsworth? i don't know i don't know if it is i thought that there might have been a lot of digs at him like the fact that like <laughs> He's just stupid, like Chris Hemsworth. I was like, is that all intentional? Or is that just how the family is? If it is, I love both of them equally. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun movie. It's really cute. It's um, it's charming. I agree with what Kristen said. And you definitely, if well, if you're on Patreon, you get access to that bonus episode, which was a lot of fun to put together. Um, we're going to start doing these car car critiques or I don't know what we're going to call them but um I like car critiques yeah that could work but but yeah no it's it's very innocuous it's it's just it it accomplishes exactly what it's trying to do which is just be entertaining and cute it doesn't it doesn't completely like upend the genre but it does what I've said for a long time is that the rom-com is a genre that needs to be parodied well by people who love romantic comedies and like I remember the movie date movie years ago that was made for teenage boys and I'm like they haven't even seen any of the movies that you're making fun of here this is stupid and it was offensive and gross and dumb but uh, isn't it romantic is great because it knows romantic comedies they they get it they they know how to use those those tropes and I love uh, Kim I love too the all the little funny signs in the background, like not just the the shops, but the street signs, like 
go left. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. go left for eternal happiness, you know, and stuff like such, that. Such a great little, such great little yeah. things. That was adorable. Yeah, it's, I love the production design. I love the costumes. I love the the callback to, you know, Vivian and Pretty Woman and, like, just, uh and And there's so many... Like, there are so many Easter eggs that I was just like, oh, that's my best friend's wedding. Ah, oh, yes, 13 going on 30. Like, you know, it's like, I've seen all these movies. I love all these movies. And so it was a lot of fun. But you are right. That it sets out exactly what it, what it aims to do. Yeah. So if you're going in expecting a pure, like, send-up, then you're not going to be happy. Um, so just temper your expectations. I said that it would be a great spoof if it was 2002. Like, it's just enough to acknowledge that we know there are problems with the genre, but we still love the genre for this reason. And that's perfectly, perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I have not had a chance to see it, um, but... With all with everything you guys have been saying, I'm like, this sounds like fun. I think I'll go see it. Like I it's do under I, I minutes too. So it's a really breezy movie. Like it's a quick sit. So that's see, that's great. Like I, I would definitely easy. be I would definitely be into that. Yeah, I think I think I'll go try to see it at some point. There's been so little that I've actually wanted to see in cinemas recently that I'm like, okay, this this sounds fun. It certainly seems more entertaining than James Cameron's robot sex baby that came out this weekend. <laughs> Gross. Uh, Uncanny yeah. Valley. Uncanny Valley. No. <laughs> I'm not okay with it. I'm not oh, okay. Man. I can't like I can't even look at the trailers, so there's no way in hell I'm gonna go see that movie. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So alright. Lauren, was there anything you saw this week that you wanted to mention? Uh, I've been watching The Assassination of Gianni Versace, which is finally up on Netflix, and I am both repelled and fascinated by. So kudos, Ryan Murphy. You have got me again. Like, I hate <laughs> you so much, and yet... I maintain, <laughs> I maintain that that show might have a dance sequence that pops up on my top five this week. I think I know what you're talking about, and that really oh, troubles yeah. me. Um, <laughs> But if yeah, Daryl Snow Collins, you're definitely on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, D- Darren, Darren, Chris is terrifying. Like I, I, he's fantastic in it. Like I know that he got a lot of praise when the when the show initially came out, which I didn't get to watch, obviously. But um, he's he's remarkable. I want to see him play um, Tom Ripley from the Patricia Highsmith books. I think he would be great. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Like he's got oh, that good look. The good looks and he's very convincing but also just totally empty eyes like yeah i, I mean we're t- talking about ted bundy and um about representations of serial killers um that one really is he's compelling and and in some ways sympathetic but also you want him to be caught you want him to to be punished for the things that he does even though even as you begin to understand kind of what his reasoning is what he wants in in his life uh, he's he's a fascinating character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been watching that. <laughs> awesome, cool. All right, well, that's gonna close things out for this week. And um, it it was so nice to be back. I can't believe how long I've been gone. I feel like it's been forever. So you're out there slutting it up, Karen. I have been slutting it up at Sundance. 
Oh, I could tell some stories. And church. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, I caught that when you guys said I was slutting up at church. <laughs> The, the jokes wrote themselves. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been great. But I'm glad to be back and just in time to be gone again next week. So, you know, whatever. So, yeah, listeners, um, next weekend is the Oscars and also the Independent Spirit Awards. So I'm going to be a little busy. I think we all are going to be a little busy. So we're going to not do an episode, but we will be back in two weeks and with lots of fun and interesting and exciting stuff to talk about. So, of course, you can find other stuff. We're, we're going to have some bonus content. So if you are on Patreon or have been thinking about signing up, you can, for just a dollar, you can access some of our bonus content. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash citizendame for that, for more details and, and stuff. You can find us on Facebook sometimes, facebook.com slash citizendame. And we are all all on Twitter all the time. And so the, the podcast is Citizen Dame Pod. And individually, you can find us. I am at Karen M. Peterson. Kristen? I'm at Journeys underscore film. Lauren? I am at LH Business. And Kim? At KPear624. Great. And if you'd like to reach out to us by email we are citizendamepod at gmail.com we also have our zazzle store where we have lots of fun products including the miss your fine collection and that is zazzle.com slash citizendame and anything else i'm forgetting uh, i did want to mention our contest winner so oh yes please we are only announcing the one contest winner if you remember uh we mentioned that we were giving away two digital copies of the happy prince courtesy of sony and I'm still not going to announce the Patreon winner because that's going to go until the end of the month. So if you are a Patreon member, um, either you become one or you are an existing one, then you will be entered to win our, our monthly prize pack, which is going to be a digital copy of the Happy Prince, as well as the First Man soundtrack on CD. Um, but if you are just a regular fan and you entered to win a digital copy, uh, you, all you have to do is tell us your favorite biopic. And we got three entries, and the winner is Jacob Haller at JWG Haller. So, hey. Jacob, if you're listening, drop us a DM or find a way to get in touch with us at any of the places that Karen just said. And um, we will just need your email address, and we'll send that over to Sony, and they'll send you your digital copy of The Happy Prince. So, thank you to Sony for sending it to us, um, and thank you guys for entering. Yeah. So that's going to close us out. Oh, don't forget to check out our website too. Uh, CitizendamePod.com. We have all kinds of fun stuff. You guys have been busy little bees over there. We've got our Citizen Dame 5. We've got uh, Feminist Fridays. We've got Thirst Traps. We've got reviews for stuff. We have guest posts this week. So lots of fun things over there too. Anything else we should mention? I think that's it. All right. Well, then that's it. We're going to go now. Y'all have a good week or a good couple weeks. <laughs> and we'll see you later. <laughs> Thanks, guys. With somebody.